like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or follow us on any of our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, at Live on Four Legs Podcast, and on Twitter, at Live on Four Legs Pod. You know, two days ago, there was a bomb threat. That was in Indiana. Last night, there was some crazy people that snuck backstage, and then tonight, we heard there was all these escapees from the insane asylum, and they said you could tell them by their yellow bracelets. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring Mr. Stone Gossip. Fucking camera in the truck. everybody now welcome to live on four legs the definitive live pearl jam podcast and whether you're tuning in for the first time the second time the ninth time we've done this for two and a half years now there's a lot of content to go through but welcome regardless if you're a new listener or an old listener you're welcome to listen to it anytime and what we do on this show is every week we go through the pearl jam live catalog we close our eyes and pick out a year throw the dart and pick out a year and uh this this week we happen to pick out a very important year it's one of the most influential ones 1994 and this is going to be fun to talk about it's been about a year since we've done a 94 show so there's going to be a lot of things that we haven't discussed in a long time a lot of things with tickets a lot of things with ticket master there's going to be a lot of discussion you guys know the history of this we're going to relive the whole thing the best to our abilities because we weren't there but we know people that were so, Randy Sobel over here, John Farrar over there. Hello. Good evening, good evening. Uh, how are you in this podcast oh, night? I didn't, has it been a year since we've done 94? Ooh. Almost, yeah. I think the last 94 show we did was the Fairfax show. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, it's tough because we did a lot of the European and around the world shows last year. They they didn't tour the world in 94. Right. Yeah, just so. Uh, couple of short legs and then that was it right but you know what a lot of people don't really realize is that this little march april tour that they did wasn't supposed to be it for 94 they were supposed to do a big summer tour Mm -hmm. and that whole thing got canceled a lot of it due to Ticketmaster things and a lot of it due to the fact that they were uh losing a drummer yeah i think those things probably kind of had some something to do with it as well as Obviously, the loss of Kurt was probably hitting them harder than they expected it to. Maybe the the coping and the therapy with it was more along the lines of, hey, 
the it's more therapeutical to put out an album and record an album and write new songs instead of go out on tour and maybe experiencing the same problems that we did on this tour because the 95 the 94 tour has just almost every night there's something that's just eye rolling and just like ed mentions at this show in ann arbor that we're doing today that the night before people tried to storm backstage and they tried to get right. backstage to find them the the night before that there was a bomb threat in uh, a couple weeks later when they were in miami there was there was a riot like this was not necessarily the funnest year of touring for them. It's right in the middle of their popularity and everybody wants a piece of them. And we'll talk about that in a little bit and how the numbers didn't quite add up to that, but it just feels like it's weighing on the band at this point. It feels like there's a lot of exhaustion that you feel from the show. Yeah. Things were definitely getting out of their control and spiraling into places they just, they weren't comfortable with. And, I think that that goes back to the the Neil Young thing too, because after, after they met Neil Young, it was like I think the the advice that he gave them the the story is he just told them, he just stop, you can just stop, you know, yeah. you, nobody, you don't have to do this, and I think he says you know that he wishes someone would have told Kurt that, and like you don't have to keep doing this, you can just stop and take some time off. So yeah, I think that had a lot to do with it. Look, we're in a different world right now where it seems like before where we are now they were kind of doing this once a year once off a year once a year once off a year and it's a lot different they have families they have kids but you know that has to be kind of taken into account too why we haven't gotten every year a megator and i think a lot of people have that expectation because years like 94 95 96 were all stacked completely stacked yeah, I mean, it wasn't until, you know, the the 2000s, really, that they really started taking those extended breaks and the album started getting spaced out, spaced out a little more. And you know, that that's natural. That happens to everybody. But yeah, the show here is it's definitely tense. It's there's there's some stuff going on. There's there's some interesting like little inserts. We'll get we'll get to it as we go along. There's some lyric changes. There's some little things added in that that kind of let you into the kind of the mindset that they were going through right now. And yeah, this is this is an intense show. Yeah, we're going to get into all that. Before we do, I just want to give a shout-out. Uh, this is a patron-requested episode, and I want to give a shout-out to Frank Stoley, who requested this show. And uh, I just want to tell Frank that we're thinking about you, and uh, we're hoping for the best. There, you know, Frank's not doing too well right now, uh, but we're really hoping for the best for Frank and, you know, just hoping that he listens to this and... Uh, that for an hour, hour and a half, whatever this turns out to be, that you know he just kind of is able to forget about some of the the bad things and and can focus on the memories, and that's essentially half of why we do this show is for that. And you know, I, like all good thoughts, and and please, you know, send good vibes Frank's way if you can. Like, just he needs it, you know. Absolutely, wish him the best, definitely. So he was at this show and, you know, he shared a little bit of uh, a little synopsis of what he recognized from this. And he said it was special because he went to school there for two years. And I'm guessing he went to school there at the time. And this is University of Michigan, obviously, Ann Arbor. And we'll kind of get into that whole landscape in a little bit. Uh, and, you know, saw them play baske basketball in that arena. It's a, the Chrysler Center, Chrysler Arena, whatever you want to call it now. In 94, 
you're a year coming off of the Fab Five and how popular the Fab Five basketball team was. And I think the 93 championship game was, it, it's a very infamous game where Chris Webber tried to take a timeout and they didn't have, at the end of the game with like two seconds left, they didn't have a timeout to take and right. they ended up right. losing yeah. like that. Yeah. I mean, like that was a scar that held on for almost 30 years. They, I think it wasn't until a year or two ago that they let, Chris Webber back like that's something you know people that know their sports really know that moment so you know talked about how Jeremy was a really amazing opener for him and seeing the WMA tag on daughter had the crowd really going crazy and all in all great show at a great venue and really enjoyed the set so you know I I wish we could have had Frank on to really tell some of those stories because these are the ones that you just want to sit there and, and it's kind of it's really going over the memories like 2014 those those stories are great but you know those are fresh in your head like these you got to dig down into your brain and really f- remember these ones and that's what makes them so special especially now but yeah again uh michigan university of michigan <laughs> obviously this is coming off the heels of one of the most famous athletes that has ever been produced from the University of Michigan winning his seventh Super Bowl. I don't have to tell you who that is. You know who that is. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is also happening in March. Most of this tour happened in March, around March Madness time. So that arena, I don't know if it's it's got that, like, obviously the, the tournament wasn't played at Michigan. They played the tournament all over the place. But uh, it has that vibe to it where... You know, people might be thinking, oh, no, it's March and the team isn't together anymore. The, uh, you know, everybody went went on to the NBA and moved on. Uh, and I wonder if this is kind of uh, sort of a distraction from that. I mean, I, I don't remember a lot about what was going on with that then, but there's something about these like college arenas, man. There's some of those places have some magic in them. And yeah, it, it can be special. Yeah, for sure. And a lot of these shows that happen at this time period, because you're getting into smaller arenas, you know, they're not quite ready. I mean, maybe they were considering what we're about to talk about in two seconds. Uh, They weren't ready for the big, the big play, the big house, essentially. They weren't ready to play in the big house, Uh, but maybe they were considering what was happening. So what happened at this show was there were 2000 tickets that they, the band themselves wanted to set aside for the students it's an 8,000 seat arena that's been disputed and um we're not quite sure what the the total of uh of tickets that were sold to this were we we've seen 8,000 but uh it, it can be disputed um however this is at the time where Ticketmaster stuff is is really heating up. Prior to the tour, they announced that they would be doing a summer tour that, would, that we mentioned before, that, and it didn't happen, and all tickets would cost below $20. In Chicago, uh, March 10th, March 13th, uh, Chicago Stadium and the Regal Theater shows, they negotiated an, an agreement to keep service charges down to under $3.75. Ticketmaster would renege. And then they would come up to an agreement with a warning that it only extended to their Chicago shows and should never expect something like that to happen again. So that's really, that's the beginning where this sort of started to spiral, where Ticketmaster, you can tell Ticketmaster was not willing to work with them. The night before, they play in Detroit. And this is the first occasion where the band insisted on completely bypassing Ticketmaster and instead offering tickets through 
the 10 club in a lottery system. That's something that we're very familiar with nowadays. That's pretty much the birth of that. So the the outcome of that, Ticketmaster threatened the concert promoter and disabled their ticket machine so they couldn't pr- print tickets for that show. And that show in Detroit allegedly received over 600,000 ticket requests for a 4,000-seat venue. So yeah. they are in... I I don't say this lightly, high, high demand at this time. Biggest band in the world. They are. And it just, you know, in most situations, some of these bands would just bypass the college arenas. They would bypass the smaller places and say, hell, let, let's play the real, let's play the hockey and basketball stadiums. Let's play the MSGs of the world. Let's play uh, where the Red Wings play at uh, at Joe, Joe Lewis Arena. Let's play those big places, try to get as many people in. But they are still in this mindset. Eddie still wants to play clubs, essentially. Like, that's that's where he is mentally. He's not He's not ready to be as big as they were. You know, everybody was trying to push them ahead a lot further than they were ready to go. Yeah, and you again, it goes back to you know they they wanted to have control over everything that they were doing. You know, they, it goes back you know from the music to the artwork and the everything. You know, they the tickets, it's all part of the same system. And they they were a band that they've you know that even from the beginning they they weren't going to be one of those bands that would just like turn over part of their business, part of their band to someone else, someone outside the the organization. So yeah, they they've always wanted to do things in house. They've they've now gotten to the point where they can do that, but back then they were still learning how to do that. And yeah, they like the the 10 club lottery thing, that was I think Jeff talks about it in the Pearl Jam 20 book that like, yeah, that was a that was a big deal for us where we we were starting to figure out if if we're we need to be able to control this and you know, we want to be able to and it, the Ticketmaster thing too, like we want to be able to control how, how people have access to our tickets and how we don't we don't want all these outside influences coming in and and exploiting it so yeah you give them credit for trying to do it the right way but yeah at some point like you know, you think of what could have been like a stadium tour in 94 like that they probably wouldn't have wouldn't have lasted through the 2000s but yeah they they, they wanted to have this slow build and they wanted to be in charge of the whole operation and that that do it and do it their way that goes back to that like do it yourself ethic man that that's that's the way to do it and then they were able to follow up on it where did they get that do it yourself ethic from hmm comes from they, punk they'll rock. come up comes later from punk rock my friend from a <laughs> little band from washington dc that that gets a little mentioned later maybe that's right all right we'll get into that but i just want to real quick uh, I'm going to read a little excerpt from the Michigan Daily Digital Archives from the Bentley Historical Library from University of Michigan. And a big shout out goes to a current student of the University of Michigan and a patron and a great friend of ours, Joey Goodsir. He went absolutely balls to the wall with this, trying to help us and try to find as much information about this show as humanly possible. Unfortunately, the libraries are not open right now. You have to, I, I guess... Uh, schedule a time he was able to find what he could on their digital archives and and it's actually really great stuff because it comes from kind of a perspective that you don't really see you know it's from 94 so it's it's a lot different so i'm going to read a couple excerpts from this and we'll kind of we'll address them so Naturally, the center of attention is Eddie Vedder, but that is almost by default. Nobody else in this band possesses any sort of charisma, no matter how talented they are as musicians. That's a hot take. 
Vetter, on the other hand, is relentlessly charismatic, continuously prowling the stage, hunching over on his microphone, shaking hands, playing with the microphone, and and dripping wax from the numerous candles on stage. Vetter spends most of the concert holed up into himself, concentrating on his performance, making his explosions all the more energetic. And the, the, the latter of that is all... Correct, and it's it's interesting that they look at that perspective and they see the band as just being Eddie. It's really Eddie at this point, and no one really knows or cares about Stone, Jeff, Mike. I always thought of Jeff being pretty energetic, especially in 92. I don't know if that changes in this time period, and, and you know they give Eddie kind of the forefront a little bit, but that... That's interesting coming from that perspective because we don't see it as that. We just see everybody kind of being as one piece instead of Eddie and the Pearl Jams, essentially. No, in 94, it was definitely Eddie-centric. Like, he was, he was on the cover of Time magazine. He was the the, the tortured artist, you know. the he's He's got the looks, you know, all the – they had the, the girls and everything. Like, it, oh, you know, everybody's swooning over him. And, yeah, like, he was definitely the focus. And then that – contributed a lot to his like they say like wanting to to just go deeper inside and deeper inside and wanting to escape and you know we talk about that that no code era you know with the the woman tried to crash her car into his house and like he started wearing that that fly mask on stage and wanting to kind of retreat and be more faceless like that's all due to all this this 1994 all this overexposure that they were getting it was it was all about him yeah, and honestly, like, I think that's good and bad in a way. I think it's good from a marketing perspective, and I think it's bad from a mental perspective, like you said, that people are, they're just clamoring over him. And every single thing that involves Pearl Jam, and it's almost illustrious to get it because of no MTV and because of rare radio hits, and they're not putting out the the popular songs so to speak are the best songs as singles at the time so you know they're they're kind of a hot commodity and, and and people want more have more questions about them than they do answers and that that's kind of rare for rock bands I think that was kind of rare for rock bands at the time because you look at like I don't know who is the biggest rock band in the world before Pearl Jam Nirvana probably Guns and Roses Guns and Roses say. yeah yeah I don't I think everybody knew everything about Guns and Roses yep they they were all over the place and Axel made sure he did every interview and, and you knew when Axel was pissed at somebody or you knew when Axel had a freak out at a show and you knew all the good things that happened to him too. He, he was out open in the public and they Pearl Jam just didn't want to do that. So, you know, different and different time period. And they kind of, they kind of changed that, that whole, I guess the, the Seattle four kind of changed that whole perspective on that and allowed rock and roll to kind of be that and be a little bit mysterious instead of just complete entertainment and showmanship. So well, for, for a few years, at least until their are your bushes and lives and well, that's and your lead right. until the late nineties stuff too. Like right. it didn't last very long. Um, okay. Let's hit the road here. And the way that we start this show in the Chrysler center, Chrysler arena, Chrysler arena, it's Chrysler arena. Now it's Chrysler center. Uh, is Jeremy.
second and final time in their history, Jeremy is utilized as an opener. And you know, it's, it's pretty cool to see them walk on stage and get the crowd to roar and the first thing you hear is that bass line. Like that's a really kind of spine tingling moment that makes you, you feel like, oh boy, we're getting ready for a show. Cause you would think even back then, when you aren't studying up on setlist, you, you don't necessarily have the access to the internet to find out what they did the night before or not. I would assume that this would be towards the end of their set or in a highlighted spot, and people probably were pretty surprised they opened the show this way, even maybe if this was their first show. It almost sent me into like an, like an alternate universe where Pearl Jam is one of those, you know, kind of commercial sellout bands who comes out and here, here's our hit first thing you know if you we'll, we'll play it first so you can leave if you if you don't like any of our other songs it kind of like kind of gave me that vibe at first and, and un, you know undeservedly it's it's you know it's a perfectly fine way to start a show like you said like you get that that opening baseline it's great and the there's the little woo 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 thing is extended it's it's there's it's not a not a bad version at all but it it was kind of strange like for this era that they would come out and, and play their most popular song first do you think it's a, a fuck it moment and maybe Could they were be. trying to maybe. and this article from uh, from the Michigan Daily said that they didn't play it the night before in Detroit and that, that's interesting that they have that information kind of handed to them uh, because you know again there's no set list websites or, or forums like that at the time so getting that information is probably reaching out to, to the tour managers um, but I, you know I, to think about kind of those hits a live porch even flow very seldom do they go back to those in the opener role but they have and they kind of you know it's weird when they do but it also it stands out because you kind of especially with a song like alive when you get that starting the show it's it's it becomes kind of the holy shit moment like what are we in for with this and then how do you how do you go from there at least jeremy you can kind of follow up on that yeah, it's not. It doesn't necessarily have like the finality that some of those other songs have that, that they've kind of established over the years. Where like if you hear it, you're kind of like, oh, okay, this is like the end of something, like kind of a show starting. But yeah, it's 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 just interesting and interesting that they never went back to it after this. This is probably pretty pretty set in its its spot, either an encore spot or a late set spot. But you know, maybe they have a trick up their sleeve. Who the hell knows? Uh, but it gets a massive reaction from the crowd and has a big scream to end it. And uh, that transitions us into a nice, like, little meaty part in the beginning of Go Animal Dissident Even Flow. Um, Mike sounds really good from this show. I think he's he's playing off the crowd a lot. Uh, the crowd, with this being a bootleg quality show, you can still hear a lot of the participation and, and the parts that, the, that they're singing along to. It's interesting. I don't know what would like this whole section here. It's there's a lot of look three verses songs and then you get into another hit. That's kind of how this is packaged together. Would you, would you think of all of it? Yeah, it's, it's kind of almost, it almost kind of set Jeremy off into like more of like a release kind of feel where it's like, here's the outlier at the beginning. And then we're going to, we're going to kick, kick in here with go and animal and yeah, I mean, especially Animal, I thought just smokes. Like you mentioned, Mike like just tears it apart. And he, even Dissident, which you know it's a little early for that. It's, it's an early even flow at number five. Like it's it's fine. You know, it, 
the dissonant didn't didn't bother me this early. It didn't take me out of it. it. Felt like it had a good energy to it, and it you could feel you could start to feel kind of the tension between Ed and the fans and Ed and himself almost. You know, it, there were there were some rumblings that this was going to be going to be one of those type of shows. Yeah, before dissonant starts, you can hear Ed into the mic. He just says, "I believe we're in Michigan." It's a little uncomfortable, but it's kind of just his sort of sarcastic way of going about things, and he doesn't know how to address the crowd. He's not going to be energetic at this point, I don't think. But the one thing about the music that really stood out, I got I got a funk vibe out of this. I didn't get, like, that driving vibe from a lot of these songs at the show. This was more of a funk, just spaced out kind of rhythm to it. I think that part of that is too. I think you can hear Stone a lot better than you you normally can on these early shows. And he was still in that, you yeah. know, playing up on those grooves and still playing these songs like a lot of like the album versions. So yeah, I give a lot of that credit to Stone. Yeah, for sure. I, I think Stone was definitely prominent in those spots, especially you go back before you mentioned Animal, like that helicopter rift where he kind of he opens it up a little bit. It's it, it's not it's not tight. Sometimes when he plays it, it can be a tight and and you're just hearing that that arpeggiated riff. This he kind of opens it up a little bit. He lets those notes kind of kind of stand out when they can, and uh, it's good. Like I kind of I kind of like Animal better when when it happens that way. Um, and, you know, the, the thing that you notice here is that Ed's vocals were fine, but, you know, a song like Dissident, he should be, or you would expect it in 94, he would be elevating them, he would be crushing them, like, full, full extent. He's not quite there, and you can tell maybe that's the energy that he, he has this night, is that he's just yeah, not, I mean, this, he's not fully this, in. You hate to go back and, like, you know, we're, we're obviously not there. We, we weren't there backstage. We didn't hear the conversation they were having, but there, there, there was something going on. Like this is—I don't want to call it an off night, but they were—they were not on their their A game. And so many, so many nights on this tour, they were. You know, we're going to do one in a few weeks where they were. You know, we we, we, we always talk about Atlanta. We talk, you talk about Fairfax that we did. You talk about Boston. You talk about you know Saturday Night Live a few weeks later and. A lot of great shows on this little run, but this one just had a, a, a weird kind of vibe, a weird mood to it. Sunday night crowd too, so that could be a little bit different. You never know on, on the days. So, but look, Mike Mike is going real bluesy off the even flow solo too, and and uh, they kind of break out of the bridge and he holds it out for a little bit longer. Really good stuff there, uh, but good start to the show, uh, regardless of kind of the energy that you're getting. So. In between, you kind of get stone noodling around on Glorified G. It's called It's called Name That Tune by Pearl Jam. What song is that? They need more notes. They need six notes. They can name that tune in six notes. So that was kind of a funny moment. And uh, that gets us into Glorified G and Daughter. And the thing that I noticed here is within the first seven songs, and this is including the WMA tag, they have played 
all of the top six verses songs all up here. And we'll get to a note later in the main set where it's completely different. I, I just thought the dichotomy of that was really, really interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the record they're touring on. So, yeah, and, and uh, yeah, we'll talk about this too. Uh, you only get one or two more after this that they don't show up to right. very much later so it's almost like yeah hey we're gonna we're gonna hit you Let's with, with the, the new record early and then we're gonna gonna go back and yeah the the daughter tag is very very strange it's almost like kind of threatening at first like he's he i don't think he has he's, a megaphone but he's doing that megaphone thing with his hand he's right yeah. he's, it sounds like he's over modulating and right. it was really kind of I don't know. It, it was it was tough to tell what he was saying. Like, young man, you will do what I say. Young man, you'll do it like the old days. Any woman, you don't get to even play a part. Like, it is very threatening. I don't know exactly what the tone he was trying to go for. Is he trying to go for, like, is he trying to set an example? Or is he, like, feeding off of just an angry energy? It reminded me of, like, a, like a Rollins Band thing. Yeah. things yeah okay they, they they make sense and there are themes that they bring up in a lot of different songs and and daughter and wma of course those are the times to bring them out but like that's that's pretty intense yeah and a little almost a little misogynistic like we'll get into that there's there's one part in, in a song later on that we'll get to that that never ever happens anymore we've mentioned maybe only right. once or twice on this show but yeah, yeah a little some little words. bit of that a little bit of that creeping into this and you have to think, uh, uh, you know, this is a few weeks out from the Rock for Choice show that they did in Pensacola, Florida, and maybe some of that because they had death threats from that show. That's that's another thing that happened in '94, and they were promoting pro-choice and did a show with with a doctor who uh, uh, was promo- promoting that and promoting women's health, and uh, they were not received very well for it. So. It might be anger stemming from those moments. Who knows? He mentions here, we usually don't play the song, so we'll see how it goes and ask the crowd if they have the new Soundgarden record. <laughs> it's, it's called Super Unknown. You might have heard of it. Yeah, I, it, it, it became <laughs> somewhat big. Uh, and uh, he says, uh, if you don't have it yet, I'll lend you some money so you can go out and buy it. And uh, the next song, both us and Soundgarden had a song off this record, and we get back-to-back single songs. How about that? Breath, you go back to, remember the version of Breath that we did from Fairfax? How does, 
yeah, how does this kind of compare to that, especially like pacing wise? It's very, it kind of plods. Now you get breath, it feels a lot more energetic, it feels a lot more poppy, but this one has kind of a sludgy progression to it. Yeah, they've, they've kind of turned it into more of an anthem that has that more kind of triumphant feel to it. But yeah, this is this is an early one, and it's it's strange. And again, he's he's throwing in these lines. He does that little like that little gimme, 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 gimme. And then the crowd reacted to that. Yeah. I wonder. Do you think he reached out to the crowd because they be. reach out and 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 think like I I think I think he might have been reacting to that or, or pretending to react mm-hmm. to something. Nowadays, it doesn't have that build to blossom into something heavier and something harder. Like, this kind of found its way after the bridge and really found the energy just through the progression of the song. Yeah, there was a part where, yeah, during the solo, there's some really good guitar interplay between Stone and Mike. There was a part where Mike was playing, and then you hear Stone's guitar come in on the other the other side and just kind of t- takes it right from him, and it's it's really well done. They, they were definitely... This is, this is a high point for the show, I think. Yeah, no, for sure. Like, both these, I, I thought State Alone Trust was very good, too. And, you know, just numbers here. Only 16 times they've been played back-to-back, and 13 have been in the order of Breath and State Alone Trust. Three being in the order of State Alone Trust Breath, which is, is strange. I don't know what makes one or the other. Like, Breath was earlier on that album, right? right. Breath was, like, the third song on the album. State Alone Trust was, like, Okay. Yeah, later. In between these two, at least, you get Ed mentioning the Indiana bomb threat and uh, last the last night in Detroit, a bunch of fans trying to break in backstage, and says tonight there's a bunch of escapees here from an insane asylum, and you can tell by their yellow bracelets, and everybody holds up their yellow bracelets, and he kind of winking a nod to to them. Um, all right. This is, this is interesting. You know, 94, if you know, 94, it's kind of out with the old, which is still <laughs> pretty much brand new at this point versus is, is less than six months old, uh, and in with the new and they're starting to write new songs and here, this is a new one. And Ed mentions it's a request too. And I wonder who it's requested by because it must be somebody that's, that's following them around at the time. So that's very interesting. Would love to hear the background on that. But last exit makes the fifth appearance on a set list. time ago uh seattle 93 show it sounded and that that's the that's the vault if you do have the vault that sounded like that version needed a lot of work i think ed had a copy of the lyrics that he was holding on to and they didn't know how to finish the song four months later this is pretty much what you hear opening the record on vitalogy it was close it didn't feel like it had a lot of 
it didn't feel as dynamic as they ended up getting. Maybe not the pop. It yeah, because it, it felt like a, they weren't sure like which parts to kind of accent and and when to kind of like turn it up and and reach that extra extra gear on it. But as far as composition yeah, goes, it's there. yeah, very cool, absolutely. I guess from that point, maybe you kind of want a little bit more out of Dave. Because you would expect Dave to kind of, this is his song, so you would expect him kind of on those hard points, and obviously he's he's the hardest hitter in the world, like, like get to those points. And he doesn't play the song live a whole lot, so it's kind of, in a way, a little bit of a disappointment that you don't hear that aspect of it. Yeah, I mean, the I don't think it really hit its stride until those, you know, those 95, you know, South Pacific... Shows this really does. Yeah, it, it, this really does become Jackson. Mm-hmm. It feels like he gets a little bit bigger at the end, and it kind of plays plays up the end a little bit. But again, you expect those bigger hits. You don't get a lot of versions with. Probably a couple more with Dave. They played this three more times this year, so Dave played this a total of eight times. Mm-hmm. That's that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, but like, yeah, maybe you do want a little bit more out of it. But as far as composition goes. The lyrics are there, the uh, the parts are there. They know how to finish the song. Their the transitions are there, and it's it's kind of a it's got a tricky rhythm to it. You know how it is. It's a little bit tricky to play. It's a little bit tricky to get right. When they do get it right, it sounds amazing. But for it being this early, I, I thought it was very interesting. I thought they did a good job. Yeah, with def- it, so. definitely a step up from from '93, but not quite where it ended up. I think. Uh, Garden. Why Why go in deep? These are three ten songs all in a row they did tons of versus songs and now we're getting into 10 and uh boy like you look at garden and we did garden two weeks ago drop in the park and that 92 version that we covered it was basically like a megadeth or a metallica song like it felt heavy and mike solo he was finger tapping a little bit you go two years later and this turns from what felt like a Mike song into a Stone song. kind of stone putting you in a trance and i feel like the 94 versions of garden are usually the best versions of the song because he's has that ability to do that and that sound that reverberates from it just again feels like almost hypnotic yeah i'm gonna throw this out as our our song appreciation this week Sure. I mean, we've we've done it in the last couple weeks, but that yeah. that's fine. Yeah. I'll appreciate it because this one, last exit in the garden, is such an awkward thing. Like you never <laughs> ever see that, but 
no. hear like, oh yeah, when 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 Stone started that riff out, it, it made me sit up and pay attention. Like, okay, and and the song just builds and builds, and it gets super intense at the end with with Ed and Mike together. Like, this is another one where I think they were kind of you know Ed's one that he, he wears his emotions on his sleeve, and you always know how he's feeling. And this is one where I think he was starting to some of the some of the tension and everything was starting to bubble up and, and come to the surface. Yeah, and you know, I kind of want to address Mike too because if you look back to back of what we did two weeks ago, Mike was you know very Eddie Van Halen, very finger tapping, and you kind of Mike has a way of sharing what's going on in his mind emotionally, and in this show solos that he pulls out are very very bluesy what's going on with mike at the time he's what months away from going into rehab he has a serious drug addiction an alcohol addiction this is what's going through his head he's probably in a major depression i don't want to make assumptions but the way that essentially this tour is going and the way that you know the band is is handling things he's definitely in a much different mindset than playing in front of 30,000 people in a big setting in a park in Seattle like just the way that in two years you can completely change your mindset of a song is kind of incredible because not a lot of of bands see it like that yeah you know the you know we were just two or three weeks away from Saturday Night Live and then you know the story is he blacked out during Daughter and didn't even remember playing Mm -hmm. it so yeah definitely some stuff going on there absolutely this is a really interesting version of garden garden kind of would get forgotten about a little bit in the years afterwards it wasn't really a jack song too much and then it wasn't a matt song until like about 2003 2006 they really started getting into it a little more but you know this would be kind of the last year they made it showcase why going deep the drum beat gets you into why go and it's it's a great transition into that but a few nice moments i I feel like after garden it was a good transition because ed opens up a little bit and he's able to give you those roars he's able to give you those screams it felt felt like you know in songs like dissident and animal where you wanted that a little bit more he was holding back and it feels like now maybe this is the progression of him drinking and going through the motions at the show and like mentioned before just pacing around the stage and very very focused and not no not interacting with the band or the fans as much this is the point where he's starting to kind of break out of that that tense mode a little bit and and share what he's going through yeah i mean uh, you got to think they were just feeling overwhelmed and one of the one of the reactions to that is you can act out a little bit and when they when you get on stage that gives you the perfect opportunity to act out because you've got the spotlight you've got the microphone everybody's looking at you you've you've that's your chance to 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 let whatever out so and again you mentioned you know three ten songs actually five ten songs in a row here to end the set yeah so that that's uh-huh. interesting too after that they kind of mix it up it's kind of broken up like you get the the verses part early you get the singles and then they're going to hit you with, with 10 at the end. It's, again, interesting interesting how they how it's put together in this main set. But, yeah, why go in deep? This is this is Dave A's wheelhouse. Like, that's... It really is. He is, he is just beating the shit out of that snare drum. And, and, you know, deep, we always have to mention it, it has that kind of descent into madness at the end. I didn't love this rendition of it. Hmm. I thought this was 
Dave taking matters into his own hands and the band being like, all right, whatever you want to do, dude. Like, Could be. Play. Yeah. It just didn't... Yeah, it had chaos, but it wasn't combined chaos. Yeah, they weren't they weren't clicking on all cylinders on this night for some reason. Right. It was very weird, but it's interesting because a week or two later is, is Atlanta. I think that's the best version yeah. of Deep of all time. And, you know, when you... When you get into that uh, post bridge, where you know on the on the edge of Christmas, clean love, uh, where Dave just pounds in that, and it's like double bass heaven. That I don't know why that hadn't been utilized in every single show in '94, but that seriously is 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 one of the best versions. And of course, I'm sure you've listened to it before. If you haven't, go out and do it. Uh, cool. We get to the main end of the main set here. And we get Alive and Porch. And this is where you mentioned before, not something that Ed usually, not the way that he speaks. There's something else to say. Of course, as a fucking bitch. There's an evolution there with how he kind of had changed with the times as well. And one of the other moments that really made me cringe of Ed speaking. I don't you you remember when they played Breath at MSG and what he called the crowd. And I'm just like, "Uh, I know it's 98. I know you're not thinking about those things, but man, 20 years later and that's just uh it's it's a little cringeworthy." Yeah. And this was very cringeworthy too. And and I know he's he's feeding off of a lot of a lot of energy, a lot of emotional energy here, and and you get it, but it doesn't really stand the test of time, right? And it gets a big crowd reaction. Everyone is like, "Okay, yeah, yeah, it yeah," is. makes you stand up and pay attention mm-hmm, for sure. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah, it's it's one of those things where like yeah, it, you would you would never ever get that nowadays. It almost sounds like a different band playing it. And I, I think it's just maturity. I, yeah. I think Ed has the idea of maturity and the idea of the person he wants to be, but he's not that yet. You know, like what he said before, the 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 speech and daughter, like saying those things like, okay, uh, hey, sister, too bad you ain't a brother. The idea of that is, you know, from a standpoint, like, yeah, that does make sense that women don't have the same rights and access that, that men do. Black Americans don't have the same access that white Americans do and the same rights that white Americans have. That all makes sense, but the way he's presenting it is he's not able to articulate mm-hmm. things. You know, like, it, it, there's, again, there's a lot going through his head, and when you're 28 years old, what was he, 28 at the time? Something like that. 29? You know this this all this all kind of happened really fast for them, so not a lot of time to really grow up and mature right away when you need to be at a mature mindset. So, yeah, and and I'm sure if he were to go back and listen to this, he would cringe too, and he would be like, "Oh, you know, that's not me. That's not me. Yeah. Right? That's not me." Uh, Porch follows up to close the main set, and that gets pretty wild. Uh, weird little solo in there. You have Ed kind of breathing heavily into the mic. That was. I don't know what to make of that. You heard you heard that noise, right? Yeah, again, just an ominous kind of threatening, another weird kind of moody version. Yeah, weird. Bridge sort of slows down, get a little bit of heavy bass. Ed is singing, 
a tag that just I don't know it it, it doesn't feel like an improv but it is it, it's essentially nobody really can figure out the song we we pose the question to a, a couple of people that have the boot saying what do you think this is because the way he's singing it is it feels like he knows a pattern to it he has a pattern for it and he knows the lyrics and he's it doesn't feel like it's coming from the back of his mind that he's making it up on the spot Set him up like a bowling yeah, pin but and knock him down. I, I, I think, I mean, I, I gotta think it's an improv. I mean, he can, he's he's been on stages a number of times. He knows the rhythm of the song. He wrote the song. He he's done these these improvs and tags many times at this point. I I think he's just coming up with this. I think he's, yeah. I think it's an improv. So he just mastered it. Oh yeah. Yeah. At this point, like he knows he knows what he wants to say. He knows how to express it and. Unlike what we were saying before, he doesn't know how to express his feelings, but he, in this manner, this is the way he does know how to express it. That's interesting. Back to back, you kind of get Ed where he, he can't express himself and here where he can. How does that happen, you ask? Well, he's, he's an artist, and there's really no no way to kind of explain that. Yeah, but again, like, you know, 94 is that's when Porch is the showstopper like that was the one that that was the the big highlight moment of the show and this one you know we don't have a lot of videos from from 94 shows so we don't know exactly what kind of shenanigans were going on but another just you know great version of Porch here fast Porch this is this is the era for it this is when it's at its full potential and uh yeah this is this is exactly what you expect from uh versions from the 90s for sure we are at the encore moment. Uh, let's take a break to talk a little bit about what's going on over at Patreon. And uh, we are actually going to do a little bit of a bonus episode, probably release it tomorrow, the next day, this week. Uh, since we're doing Ann Arbor today, why don't we do another Ann Arbor show? We've been talking a little bit about wanting to do more 1991 shows, shorter shows to kind of be able to highlight some of the stuff that was happening in 91. This is real interesting. We're going to do a show from the blind pig, November of 91. That's a, that's going to be a very interesting show to talk about. 
Yeah, we kind of get the other side of this. You know, we were, we we talked a lot about you know how this one was you know after the fame and after the the Time magazine cover and after all of the, the accolades and everything. But that's going back to kind of a more innocent time. You know, fall of ninety one. We talked about the clubs and how they really loved playing clubs. The Blind Pig holds. 400 people uh, that's you know small capacity and what they had to do to get in there was they had to kind of break off of the smashing pumpkins red hot chili pepper store in order to play something themselves and i wonder you know we're gonna end up talking about this in the show and i wonder how that mentality and doing that in a, in the middle of a tour kind of you know changed their mindset of uh you know being very early on a very big tour It'll be interesting, and there, there's going to be a lot to talk about with that. And uh, if you want that, that's going to be over at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash live on four legs. Contribute, donate, help the show. We have three tiers. I'll let you explain the tiers this week, John. How, how would you like to do that? Sure. So we, we have our, our $1 tier, our bonus leg tier, where if you just donate a dollar to the show every month, you can get access to all the exclusive content over there, all the extra episodes that we've been doing all the setless drafts, everything like that. So all that, all that content is there for you. Like, like you always say, you know, you can, if you just want to check it out, you know, donate a, throw a dollar over there for a month, check it out, see if you like it. If you don't like it, you know, you can cancel it the next month. No harm done. Uh, we have our $5 tier, the giga leg tier. That's for people who want to be able to request a show, want to be able to come on the show and talk about maybe a special show that they went to or kind of a, uh, underappreciated gem that they they think we need to talk about, which is always appreciated. Uh, so that's our five. And guess what? I'm go- I'm going to throw this out there now. Uh, Gigaleg patron, newly crowned Gigaleg patron, Michael Keating. Next week is going to have his episode, and that will will say what it is later. We'll tell you what it is later. But that is one that you're not going to expect, and and kind of like Lincoln, place that you don't really see. Pearl Jam playing a lot and uh, and doing a lot of popular shows. So I just want to shout out Michael Absolutely. for Thanks, Michael. for joining up to the Gigalug. And then we have our our ten dollar tier, our Horizon Leg tier for the uh, the people that are interested in in supporting our our website project, our you know concertpedia project that we're working on, and we're getting getting a lot of great stuff on there. And you know that you also get you know a chance we'll we'll interview you. You can have your very own episode. And you, you know, you'll get kind of a producer credit on the website and, you know, some more things to be announced. So, yeah, those are the three tiers. And we we thank all of our patrons. Absolutely. You know, especially, you know, from from 2020 going on into 2021 for that to be a year of such, you know, growth on Patreon for us was just amazing. And we're, you know, I'm continually amazed by those people. We thank them all so much for for continuing to donate month for month. Like we always say, you know, it it makes us want to, to do more and more for you guys. So thank you all so much. 100% you guys are the best and honestly we're at you know we're at 82 right now which is a great number and you know at this time last year we were probably around 20 which we were like okay like this this is growth this is some growth from where we were and it's amazing that we've been able to in one full calendar year that was a pandemic that was hard for a lot of people grow that much and that just shows how many people care about this and and want this project to succeed so we we from the bottom of our hearts thank you guys and one of i haven't told 
Johnness. This is this has been stewing in my head, but I guess I'll tell you now and I'll tell everybody at the same time. But one of one of the goals for this year is to hopefully get to a hundred patrons because you gotta still have goals and goals coming in and hopefully we can get one hundred people listening to content and sharing their stories with us and, and all that, like make it a big community like it already is. But and join our Discord. Join the Discord. We will We'll keep sharing links for the Discord, and, and that that's available through Patreon. But one of the things about getting to 100 is I will make this declaration right now. If we get to 100 in 2021, whenever that may be, it can be from $1 tier members to GigLeg $5 tier members to Horizon tier $10 tier members. It doesn't matter. If we hit 100, which we're 18 away, we're going to throw another big party. How about that, you guys? Okay, you scared me. I thought you were going to say you were going to go running running naked through the streets of Connecticut. I'm glad it's we're just doing a, we're just doing a party I, this time. That that I did that good. after the second. I did that after two people joined. I, you know, <laughs> no sweat off my back. I got arrested twice, but hey, you know, I do I do a lot for you guys. <laughs> uh yeah, well uh if you guys were at the Christmas party, you guys know how much fun that was and uh, we want to try to get that same energy going again and honestly one of the other things that we've started doing is uh there's been a pearl jam podcast community facebook page and we've it's been around for a little bit but we've sort of figured out ways to interact with people more and get all of the podcast sharing what they're doing throughout the week and and kind of growing our fan bases so if you're interested in that search Pearl Jam podcast community on Facebook and definitely check that out. So ready to get back into the music. Cause we got more things to talk about. Oh yeah. we got a, this is a big one coming up right here. It sure is. And I don't know how we didn't mention it in the beginning of the show. It should have been like one of the key points and key factors to the show, but there was so much to talk about that. Like give this a couple minutes here. Cause it absolutely deserves this and, and we'll, we'll do it to its full extent. But Ed asks the folks up in front how they're doing and says they're going to do something different, which is kind of weird. We keep playing rock songs, but it's fun to make sure each show is different. You haven't heard this one. We haven't played it live, but here's a few mellow ones in a row. An early, early precursor to something that we're all familiar with now, the Campfire Slow Burn Encore. And uh, it was done in bits and pieces back then, but this is a very early version of it, and especially... 1994, when you're getting a debut song, it's massive. And there's a lot to talk about with this. Nothing Man debuts at this show. Listen to it first, and then we're going to give our instant reaction. Can't be taken 
my instant reaction to this was you kind of know the song in one light. It's an acoustic song. It's kind of, it's lighter. It's, uh, you know, Jeff with the stand-up bass. You know, it, it has that mellow campfire sound to it. This is like light electric distortion. Drums are light, but they kind of, you can hear them. Like, Nothing Man's not really a song where you think about the percussion that much. And this version, and I went back and I listened to the demo, but this version feels like what you would record for a demo for the song. They're a little bit different. They have some similarities, but they're a little bit different. The lyrics seem to be pretty close to being there on this, but the pacing is very plotting, which is very interesting. Yeah. I mean, you, you expect that from a debut like this. And for me, you know, one of my favorite parts of, of any Pearl Jam record is that intro guitar tone on Nothing Man on Vitalogy. I think it's it's perfect. So I, 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 don't, I didn't mind the, you know, the sort of heavy electric part of it. But to me, the thing that stood out, and you mentioned it too, is the percussion in Dave A. Like, it seemed like he didn't really know what to do. And he, like, he was, not like he was maybe trying things, but he was not really sure of himself. He wasn't, he wasn't comfortable, I think, with, with the song. And he, it was, it was just a little strange to do that. That kind of took me out of it a little bit. And I love this song. It's it's an underrated, un- underappreciated classic. And the Dave A thing just took me out of it a little bit. It, it definitely felt like he was not real sure of himself. Did you go back and listen to the demo? No, I, I've heard it. I thought you were talking about the one on the Vitalogy box set. Yeah, yeah. the box set. One. Yeah, it's. I I love that one. And and this one was it was it wasn't quite there. And then again, how cool is it? I, you know, I, I always talk about. It. I love like give me the first one, give me the germ of the idea, like give me the first performance where they were working at it. And yeah, it's it's interesting from that point of view. But this is probably not one that I'll that I'll go back to. It has a very weird beginning to mm-hmm. it. It has a weird life form because this is the first time. It's also the last time for a very long time because the next time that they'll do it is the Bridge School shows in 96. And that's when Jack is in. That would be, I don't think they're, that's Jack's last time doing it, but they didn't perform it a lot in 96. 98, they start to intertwine it a little bit more. Why do you think that this wasn't, really a part of the no code era was it just the changing of albums and and let's let's think new let's think different yeah i think so i think even they they probably just forgot about it it was like you know people aren't clamoring for it when they're not seeing signs for it it's you know when, when you have a new drummer you want to you're always they're always a band that looks forward and wants to do the next thing and i'm sure just jack maybe like and you know it didn't work with dave for whatever reason, and maybe Jack was just like, eh, you know, the the for the bridge school it's fine. For the '96 shows, even they they weren't quite at that point where they were mixing in. You know, even like an off he goes at that point was still more. It didn't have the campfire feel yet, mm-hmm. and I just don't think they were ready to to fit for a song like this to fit in the set. They didn't really know what to do with it. Maybe. Do you think that? elderly woman's presence and popularity sort of pushed this down a peg because they had a song like this, an elderly woman. 
It's it's not could be. exactly yeah. similar, yeah, but such, it has more of an acoustic vibe to it. Too. This is almost like uh, what what do you even compare it to in their catalog? It's you know you go to something like Wash maybe or which also oh, kind of disappeared around this time. It's really tough because it's it's acoustic adjacent and it's mostly played acoustic now. But it's like an indifference, maybe, and then th- that that kind of found its place. But it it took yeah. a while. Yeah, honestly, like now that I think about it, I think Nothing Man would work on some two thousands records. Oh sure. Yeah. Like I think Nothing Man would be pretty good on Backspacer. Oh, it, it's a. I think it's, it'd be pretty good. It's on one of their on like oh yeah, it's one of their best. It's one of their best songs that no one talks about. It would it would be great. I would it would be the best song on Backspacer by far. <laughs> well, uh, you know, no offense to to unthought known and and amongst the waves. No there, offense, but... offense intended. <laughs> but I mean, like, there, it's very rare to find a song that can fit in all eras. And maybe you do think because this really did get popular during the Backspacer era, they were playing it every other night, and it became a sing-along song and people doing the into the sun into the sun like maybe that's why you can kind of put the connection to that and i think too part of the reason it came back was it was part of that trilogy you know after after leatherman was was written it it kind of found a home there but without without that i don't i don't know that it does come back until much later and like have, have they ever opened with this yeah um not Telluride. It might have been Telluride or Pemberton. It's one okay. of those festival shows. Yeah, yeah. This would be. But I think. Yeah, this, that was the this only could have time. been a great opener. It could have been worked into that release wash, oceans kind of rotation. I think I would love to hear this as a, as an opener. It's got the it's, great um, crowd sing along. It's a yeah, love it. It's you know obviously when they do the the you know the three song slow burn it it does get utilized it could it could end up being after a pendulum or after a release or something like that because it's notable and in and relevant to the pearl jam world right now i watched the seattle uh live stream the home the home show live stream and that was the third song in after oceans and, and footsteps so that like that's pretty normal right there so yeah you're 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 on the mark with that but uh yeah it, it has a home now it definitely has a home and that's interesting how it's developed and found that and uh, look, we could spend another hour on that and do an evolution episode, but <laughs> that's that's a good little taste for what we do do on the evolution shows right there. So great. Look, it's good to go back and, and it's very rare to, to find these moments because when you get into songs later and, and you see debut songs later, they're, they're more established. They, they have these songs down and they've practiced them a little bit more. But where are they at this time? They're writing these songs on the road not really much you can do besides play it on a bus. Right. So pretty good. Uh, after this, I really like this moment. Ed does a little bit of acapella and at first he's just kind of almost like he's singing to himself and he's just like, let's, let's take some time before this one and gives you a few lines from three little birds by Bob Marley. Gonna be all right, all right. Said it don't worry about a thing. 
crowd's just clapping along, singing along with him. This is my message to you. And then he gets a little bit of a music bed behind him from Mike. And it's a really nice moment that I feel like is one of one of the best crowd connecting moments from this show. Yeah, this kind of this kind of took me by surprise because, you know, after everything we've talked about and all the intensity and the moodiness, this is kind of was kind of a lighthearted moment. It kind of didn't really fit in with the rest of the show. It was kind of like a, like, wait, what's happening right now? How? Where? Where did this come from? But, uh, but yeah, very just, just kind of a cool little moment. Like you said, I don't. I just think it was he just took off on that lyric, and then they just. I don't. I, don't, I doubt that highly this was on a set list. You know, no, yeah, just, it, it just kind of a little improv thing here. Cool. Yeah, and he's done that line like everything every little thing will be all right he's done that in probably like blood or porch before but i don't know if there's too many instances where he's just kind of sung it by himself and and done it like this this and that that's cool like usually songs don't get that treatment right and again if it fits in like they like you said came on said hey we're gonna do some mellow ones here so yeah it's the right place right time and uh, the sound that Mike Mike's guitar comes in with is very familiar. The transition from what this was into what Mike was doing, that little bluesy Hendrix vibe in the beginning, and then finally, like, the doodle Like, I, that was a cool little reveal there, which was a little bit different for Ledbetter. This is very early on in the song's uh, uh, lineage here. Only the fifth performance of all time. Look, look at some of the songs that, that we're dealing with. Last Exit was the fifth performance. Nothing Man, The Debut, Ledbetter, fifth here. Some rare stuff that's going on at this show that's pretty notable. However, Ed does not know a <laughs> single lyric from this song. Uh, a little, a little at least how we there. know it now. Yeah. And it gets, again, kind of weirdly intense. Like some yeah the, the the lyric thing is it is what it is but the, it doesn't have the like only the fifth performance it doesn't have the kind of like send everybody home happy that that vibe that the song has now this is not that led better yeah i'm not i'm not sure really how to how to connect that and and thinking about why they wrote the song it, it is kind of weird that it did become an anthem like it did yeah at the time, it was starting to become more popular. It's it's a B side, and it should have been on ten. You know, if you if you ask McCready, it should have been on ten. But you hear the crowd crowd reaction. It's it's highly popular, and people people know this. Yeah, and this was kind of before it took off on the radio as well. Like you, 
starting in, you know, 95, 96, you started hearing this on, like, classic rock radio, and that kind of gave it another life, but, yeah, this is, again, just another weird version, you know, to connect with a song like that, you have to have, like, you have to have a way to get into it, and, like, it's like they weren't, they weren't letting you into these songs just yet. No, and I I recognize that with Black as well, Mm -hmm. because everything these first three songs at least they feel very open and like i don't know what it is i don't know if it's the recording or just something is missing from all that and that doesn't bring you into a full vert maybe it's dave holding back a little bit maybe it's one of the guitars holding back a little bit you don't really hear much out of stone from Ledbetter, but Black kind of has that openness feeling too, where there there's just something, just and, and not to say that this, this is a bad version, but there's something that is is missing that notable versions usually have. Yeah, it's like they were, they were they were holding holding the the emotions a little closer tonight than than a lot of nights on this tour. And look, you, you do get the outburst that, you know, the unplugged version outburst, the surrounded by some kids at play and a we belong together tag. But it didn't it never got away from itself mm-hmm. where sometimes black can and sometimes black, you know, you can get Mike tapping into something. This was a little softer and more subtle. It does ramp up near the end, but it, it has it at least keeps in the pocket and keeps its groove. I think, yeah, what I was trying to get at is like it's it doesn't quite become the moment you know there's not it, it's going to be hard to find the moments from this show because there's there's not a lot of them that there there's not a lot of those points where the the band kind of transcends the crowd and becomes you know something greater than than what they are like this this show just doesn't have a lot of those moments in it like we said there's there's a lot going on uh 10th 10th show of the tour is really kind of that's the middle of it and you're kind of in the middle of touring and you're starting to realize okay home is home is further away than it is uh uh closer and it could just be all those aspects of of the ticket thing kind of you know diving into like stone i know stone and jeff were really uh trying to get the ticket stuff uh all settled and squared away and then you have Dave that's not on the same page, and you have Mike that is is definitely going through his own uh, kind of problem. So it, it's almost Ed, everybody's kind of on their own island, and somehow they're getting together to, to play this set and try to find their own. You know, and, and the stories too. I think this is the time too where he was traveling in a van. The rest of them were in uh, yeah. He was like separated from them, you know, literally as well. So. Yeah, a lot, lot of lot of disconnection in this. You do kind of ramp it up here, and you get a few songs at the end that that do feel uh, like you're going to end on a pretty high note. And Rearview Mirror starts that. And Ed kind of mentions beforehand. I don't know if you've heard the song in the car before. It's a good driving song, good to get away. Good version of Rearview Mirror. Kind of you know the bridge very short. Again, very opened up. Not a lot of extra. You don't get like a little extra, uh, you know, a flourish solo from uh, from Mike or anything. Jeff is kind of the standout, getting that sludgy bass before driving into the big ending. And I, I always ask kind of with early versions, and maybe it goes back to the SNL version that was a couple weeks after this, but what's that scream going to be like? I listen to it. I'm like, it's solid. It's not 
earth shattering. It's not like spine tingling, but it, it's it's good. Ninety four. Usually, you kind of again. That's the benchmark. SNL is the benchmark. He doesn't doesn't have a minute for for this, but that's that's a point that's going to change very very soon. Yeah, I agree. Just again, solid, almost like they were playing it. They were trying to play the album version. You know, they they weren't they weren't letting loose like they they would later. But yeah, again, same things we've been we've been talking about. Not For You has quickly become a band favorite on this tour, and this is one of the songs they didn't have in 93, and it has been really the Vitalogy song most consistent in the set list this year. It's the seventh time that it was played, uh, and nine shows on the tour this far. That kind of shows you where they are with this song and how much they like it. And this is really, it is Ed. You know, you would say Corduroy is feeling what Ed is going through, Not For You is absolutely feeling what Ed is going through. But, like, you know, they're they're crushing it. Like, they're crushing this version. And, you know, it's a bold move to throw two brand new songs into your encore. You're able to feel that emotion that coming from this, that this is something that's on their minds, unlike some of the verses stuff that they got out of the way, like Glorified G from earlier, that maybe they're just kind of sick of. We didn't really talk about Glorified G, but Ed has some, like, what I would think to be eye-rolling moments from that. Like, Not For You feels really locked in and just driving and more connected with, with this and sort of, again, what's on their mind, this kind of mindset. Oh yeah, the show needed and Not For You. Like, it's, this is a cathartic song at the time and a cathartic moment in the, in the set. And again, for them to, for it to be this early in the song's history and for them to give it a, a spot like this late tells you something. It's tailored for Dave A. It's got that original outro where he's He's doing the, the harmonics up at the, the top. It's so good. I love that original outro. This this is an, this is another in a in a show with not many highlights and not many moments. This is definitely one I I love this and I think this this definitely fit in with the with the vibe of the show more more than a black more than a review mirror more than a, than a live like not for you is is this show's bread and butter. Yeah, that's that's fair to say, and it's interesting because. Alive, Porch, Jeremy, obviously, the, the opener of this show, Even Flow, all happened in the main set. So it's kind of it's kind of like, what do you do now? We got all that stuff out of the way. You know, Black is a hit, and that's that's in the encore, but you're going to close your encore with, with Blood and Indifference. And, and it, it's a good, classic 1994 way to close your, your encore, but there's so many songs that you would expect to be played late that are just off the board and crossed off at this point. Ed kind of riles up the crowd here and, and says, thank you. And nice having a drink with you. Uh, we've been in a bunch of places like East Lansing and obviously East Lansing is where Michigan state is. So you get the crowd, the boo and Ed kind of messes around with them and says, is your ex-girlfriend over there or something? Is it dry there? 
and mentions they played Kalamazoo, and they just he, he says, I can't believe we're still around. That's just a like, why say that? You know, <laughs> like that goes to show where the hell they are and how not in tuned they are with the audience. Connect with them, find ways to connect, and they're just kind of at least Ed is just kind of like I, I I can't I can't tell you anything right yeah, now. Yeah, he just he just wasn't feeling shit. like it. They, I think they were just feeling overwhelmed, like the so much tension in the band, and yeah, they just they just weren't connecting on this night. Blood, though, it's ending on a bang. holding back a little bit something in in the in most of the main set and then in the encore for sure those songs were a little bit opened up and and don't have that same feel that they usually do but blood is just it gets pretty vicious and visceral i like this is the kind of 1994 versus era blood that you expect coming out of them but it also it's got a very booming bass drum hits and and very heavy chorus and Ed is, it's like he's pouring everything out at this point, and he knows it's the end, so fuck it. Why not just finish on a bang? Yeah, this is another showstopper from this era, and you, you kind of forget now what Blood used to be, but, you know, going back and doing this, you know, doing those 95 shows, 94, 93, like, yeah, Blood is is a showstopper, and this is Aberzee's catnip, absolutely. He is perfect, perfect for him. And he again tears. There's there's like a little extended drum thing clapping in the middle. It's very cool. I mean, you gotta think again. Just like Porsche, there's there's gotta be some shenanigans going on. Somebody's somebody's slamming a mic stand around, or somebody's like pacing around the stage. It had to be a very cool visual. And you know, going back to Frank, you know, I'm sure this is one of the highlights for him. Like, Blood and Porch were the ones that you you knew were gonna be intense, and they, these don't disappoint. Yep, absolutely. I think Blood is, is probably going to end up being the number one from the Iowa show. And, uh, you, know, you, you compare it to what you get now, and, and, and obviously is, is more cognizant nowadays, but oh boy, don't you love to hear it back then and just hear what it was and wish that you can kind of go, this is one of the very few songs that you say, I wish I can see it, what it was like back then, and have that remorse, almost that remorse for of losing that. You're kind of getting to the end here, and we don't have a full version of Indifference, so we won't really take a lot of time on it. We'll just kind of make mention of it here. That's how they end the show. But Ed, before getting into that, mentions uh, Ian Mackay from Fugazi, that somebody up front looks like him. That's your Fugazi oh, hey, reference. Take it, take it when any, any place I can get it, absolutely. 
uh, you want to promote your your Fugazi appearance? Oh sure, yeah. Did uh, did a little deprogrammed episode of Fugazi also recently was on the alphabetical Fugazi Fugazi A to Z podcast. Did an episode on great cops. People can go check that if the check that out if they want to. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Fugazi's my. I mean, I love Pearl Jam. Fugazi's my number one band. Sorry. I certainly am not surprised by that. But listening to that episode and not being, a, not having the intake of Fugazi that most people do and and there's a lot of people that are very fugazi obsessive if you've never listened to the band take the 10 songs that they took out of that and give them a good listen it's it's worth it's worth your time out of everybody that they've influenced including the band that we talk about every time on this podcast it is worth just checking them out uh so ed rambling here you know jesus fucking grace you guys have been great it's been fucking awesome all the hype and all the bullshit around a band and it being so hard to get tickets and all that crap you know it's really hard to be on our side because it's just music it's hard to stand up to all that shit so thanks for coming and listening and taking care of each other you guys deserve applause it just feels like they're tired of fighting you know like shouldn't shouldn't they have more of a say in what they do? And I think that's the frustration that they're expressing. Yeah. Like, you know, like we talked about at the beginning, they it's a, it's about the control and them not feeling comfortable with, with other people controlling parts of their, their band and their music and the things that are around the music. And they wanted to do it their way and do it the right way. And things were starting to get in the way of that. And that can be intensely stressful. Yeah. So, like I said, not not a lot to talk about with indifference because it cuts off after after about 40, 50 seconds. So that's just the way Take that right out, man. audience recordings go. Yeah. Yep, exactly. We're we're thankful that they got the other twenty two songs, and uh, you know, I, I we did read somewhere that this indifference was pretty intense, though. Oh, I can imagine. So, Absolutely interesting to note. All right, well, it's going to be really tough to. You, you said that there weren't moments from this show it's going to be tough to put them out but try to try to give us a couple here that make the show what it is at least yeah i mean i we can always you know there, there's always some I, i'll go with breath at uh at number three very cool version of breath i thought being in that that middle of the set was kind of a, a high point very very cool moment like to get those two single songs back to back so cool there uh, my number two is nothing man to get the debut always debuts are always interesting for whatever reason and it, it might not have been the best version of the song but it it's it definitely interesting you know for the only time that Dave a played it that's noteworthy you get that little encore one section you know kind of 20 years ahead of its time which uh, which was cool so nothing man's number two and then my number one is is not for you i think that that was a, the one that a lot of people gravitated towards early and like you mentioned a band favorite played it a lot early on in this tour you get the original outro it it felt like it was it was perfect for this set and very well placed and near the end so uh that that's my number one moment i'm gonna go with i think three different ones which is interesting because again this has a weird flow to it but i'm gonna go with the opener jeremy just because it's it it felt so much different and it didn't feel like something that they usually do too much and you know we're never going to talk about a jeremy opener again so uh, i'm going to give a nod to that i'm going to also give a nod to garden because garden you know the, just the differences that we talked about 
a couple weeks ago and even before that when we did mural amphitheater like the differences are massive and it's showing very early on that there is growth and maturity within their musicianship. And I, I think Garden's a really great example of that. And I think, I think number one from the show is, is blood. I think blood really, it's, it's a big standout and, uh, and it kind of is, is the show in a nutshell. If you want one moment that explains to you why this show happened the way it did, Blood is it, and it, it's perfect that, and makes sense that it happened near the end of the set, the pen, penultimate song. So, I, rating is going to be really tough because I I feel like we've talked about before that ninety four shows really don't deserve to get below an eight, but the way that you've been teeing this up makes me feel like that's where you're headed. Yeah, and I I went back and forth on this one, you know, and I'm. I'm still, you know, even you'd asked me 10 seconds ago, I still probably wasn't sure where I was going to go. But, and I'm not a lot of great moments, a a feeling of like disconnection, the the weird kind of intensity of the show. Some of the, it just didn't feel like it connected with me. I'm going to give this a six and a half. All right. Um, I think, I think it's interesting that it didn't connect as much, that, you do get some of the things. And I think from a historical perspective, that's what perked my interest. And I, I'm at least going to give it its due and I'm going to give it the seven and a half. Cause I did enjoy listening to it and it's, it's a relic from the past. What can we say? You know, this is angry Ed era. It's, it's uh, you know, the band was definitely going through a transitional phase or about to. So I, I think I think it's important. I think it's a pretty important show when you want to tell the story of the history of the band. I think this is part of the discussion, not the moments per se, but just the way the ebbs and flows happen. That's fair. So seven and a half. I, I it might be more than it deserves, but you know, give it to the 1994 and the lore of this year uh, that I really do enjoy shows from this year. And we're going to do another one in about a month. That's going to be very, very, very good. Uh, But nothing, nothing wrong with that. You know, it's, it's different and caught. It definitely caught my attention. So we kind of teed it up a little bit before Uh, Michael Keating is going to have his Patreon requested episode done. And it's going to be Columbia 2008. Columbia, South Carolina, that's not a location we really talk about. You know, you went to a show in Columbia. We haven't sure done did. we haven't done that show yet. Coming back down in my neck of the woods. That's right. 2008, that's not an era we really talk about because that's kind of in between albums and, you know, maybe it's the 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 preparation for what the Backspacer era is going to be, but the 2008 year has a lot of great gems. I think this is going to surprise a lot of people. Maybe you don't think Columbia from 2008 when you think of the 2008 tours and there's like 14 shows or so. So there's not much and Bon it's the show directly after Bonnaroo, which is a classic. Maybe this is going to open some people's eyes. Yeah. I think so. Good stuff. All right. Well, that's that's all I got. Any any parting words? Uh you, you did your your Fugazi promotion. We did the Patreon promotion. Yeah, just great, great to do these ninety four ones. You know, I didn't, I didn't rate this one very highly. When you know, if people want to email and uh, and yell at me, that's fine. But 
all the shows on this tour are are interesting. It was such an interesting time for them. I love going back to this this little run of of March and April in '94. It's got a lot of a lot of interesting stuff going on. Almost every night there is something to talk about. So th- thank you to Frank and and again best wishes to Frank. We're we're pulling for you. Any you know we're we're hoping for the best. So we really are. Keep, keep yeah, at it. You know, and and I'll speak to the Frank's character and just how good of a, a dude he is. And again, like these people, you don't know them. You you know them from. And I've never met Frank personally. I, I know him from uh, him joining Patreon and him uh, talking to us on Twitter. And you kind of feel and and relate to these people because they are Pearl Jam fans and you have that very special bond in common. And I, I think that's one of the most important aspects about us doing this podcast and about just the Pearl Jam community in general. So everybody just uh, good energy, good thoughts, good vibes go out to Frank. And uh, yeah, we didn't rate this show as high as maybe Frank would have liked to, but um, would like to hear what uh, his thoughts were about this, uh, at least about what we had to say. So if Frank's out there, we love you. Keep uh, keep the spirits high, keep up a good ap- attitude, and uh, we hope for the best. So, all right, we're out of here. We'll see you next week. This may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, I miss you already. I miss you always. Hey, like we mentioned before, we're going to have another episode out tomorrow on Patreon, patreon.com slash live on four legs. If you like the 1991 year, we're going to do another Ann Arbor show. Why not? The Blind Pig. That's a very famous venue Nirvana had a very famous show there, and we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll talk a bit about Pearl Jam, too, because it is 1991 Pearl Jam, and that is uh, definitely a good wheelhouse for that. So if you're interested, head on over, check out the episode, even if you want to just check it out for a dollar a month, head on over. And uh, if you subscribe to us, please do subscribe, by the way. If you subscribe to us on Apple, give us a five-star rating. Send a comment. Let people know what you think of the show because then it'll help. And then they'll tell their friends. And this is how the community works. It's done by word of mouth. So join us next week. Thanks for joining us today. And we'll see you then for Columbia 2008. Anybody have that new Soundgarden record? Soundgarden record.